0: THE STORY OF MACATES AND PHILINION MACATES CHECKED THE ADDRESS HIS FATHER HAD WRITTEN OUT FOR HIM ON HIS WAX TABLET. YES, THIS WAS IT, THE HOME OF HIS FATHER'S OLD FRIEND FROM HIS UNIVERSITY DAYS STUDYING GREEK PHILOSOPHY. MACATES WONDERED WHAT THIS Demostratus WAS LIKE, WHETHER HE WAS dour AND SERIOUS LIKE HIS FATHER, OR WHETHER PERHAPS HIS FATHER REALLY WAS MORE PLAYFUL IN HIS YOUNGER DAYS AS HIS MOTHER KEPT TELLING HIM. HIS CURIOSITY HAD TO WAIT A LITTLE LONGER. As the door slave opened the door, and he was shown into a small front room. Finally, his host appeared. A small, wiry man, Demostratus seemed very prim and proper, not as dull, perhaps, as Mackerty's father, but not quite the more playful host he was hoping for. Greetings, said his host, pleasantly enough, but not warmly. Welcome to my home. The sentiment was in his words and his gestures, but didn't quite reach his eyes. "'Thank you, sir,' said McAtees politely. "'It is very kind of you to put me up, and I hope it's no trouble. "'I intend to stay only a few days.' "'No trouble at all, no trouble,' said Demostratus in a weary tone "'that suggested it might be some trouble. "'Dinner will be ready very shortly. "'In the meantime, I'll show you to your room.' "'Thank you,' said McAtees. "'You have a lovely home here. Two stories. "'Very nice.' "'We are rather traditional, my wife and I,' said Demostratus. "'We keep a separate women's quarters upstairs and men's downstairs. "'You might perhaps be expecting to see my wife at dinner, "'but we stick to the old ways. "'There are no other guests, so it will be just you and I.' "'Oh! Lovely!' said Macatees, his heart sinking. "'He had been hoping to meet his host's wife, Carito, "'a lady his father had told him was very beautiful,' though he wondered now how his father could possibly have known that. The thought of an entire evening with only this rather uptight man to chat with was not terribly appealing. As they moved through the hall towards the dining room, he thought he heard movement upstairs, and perhaps even spotted the flick of a skirt as it was whisked back up the stairs and away from him. But that was all. Dinner was as dull as McAtees had feared, and no entertainment had been laid on either, It was just him and Demostratus discussing philosophy and drinking cheap wine badly mixed. Several times McAtees tried to let his host talk and allow his own mind to wander, but Demostratus kept asking him questions or asking what he thought about fate or pain or why it rains, and he had to keep his wits about him. He waited until he had eaten enough to be polite, and then, though the sky had barely darkened, he made some excuse about having had a long journey— and took himself off to his room. Exhausted, McAtees lay back fully clothed on the bed and listened to the sounds of the household winding itself down for the night. He must have fallen asleep, for he was woken up in full darkness by the sound of someone opening the door and slipping into his room. "'Who's there?' he cried in alarm, fumbling to light the lamp by the bed. "'Don't worry,' said a light, bright voice from the end of the bed. "'I won't hurt you.' Who are you? He managed to get the lamp lit and held it out in front of him. At the end of the bed stood a young woman. She wore a white dress and simple gold jewellery that suggested good taste and a decent if not huge amount of money. A single rose was pinned into her curly dark hair which fell across her face in a way that might have been artful and deliberate or genuinely carefree. Either way, it was as beguiling as she surely wanted it to be. "'My name is Felinion,' she said with a smile. "'But be careful. We must be quiet. "'My parents don't know I'm here.' "'Your parents? Are you Demostratus and Carito's daughter?' "'hissed Macatees in a horrified whisper. "'Yes, please don't tell them you've been here. "'Your father will have my head. "'He wouldn't even let you or your mother down to dinner.' "'I know,' said Felinion sadly. "'He's terribly old-fashioned.' "'It's not like that in Rome,' said Macatees conversationally. There, it's the wife's job to help host a dinner, and daughters ready for marriage sometimes come as well. I know, said Felinion eagerly, moving forward to sit down on the bed beside him. I've read about it in books. Most Greek households are that way these days as well, but my father has this obsession with holding up old-fashioned values. McAtees laughed quietly to himself. Judging from what my father says, he wasn't always that way. My father is very strict, But he says yours was terribly badly behaved when they were studying together. Fellinion giggled. That's what my father says about yours, she said. McAtees watched her laugh, feeling the closeness of her sitting beside him on the bed. He started to find himself becoming uncomfortable. You had better go, he said. If your father catches us, I dread to think what he will do to you. My father has never allowed me to so much as smile at a man, said Felinion sadly. I have spent most of my life within these walls, and gone out veiled and silent when allowed. And soon my Hades will take me away and my chance will be gone. McAtees thought this was a rather flowery and unnecessarily gloomy way to describe getting married, but he supposed it must seem that way to a young girl being taken away to the house of an older man she barely knew. He hesitated, and she put her hand on his upper thigh. It's so nice just to sit with you and talk with you, she said. I'm enjoying it so much. She smiled at him again, and his heart melted. He started to pull back once more, but she suddenly leaned across and kissed him full on the mouth, her hands wandering down to his tunic, and he gave up on trying to behave himself and gave in to her. Afterwards, they lay together on the narrow guest bed, and he twirled his fingers around her hair. "'I want you to have this,' she said, taking a golden ring off her finger. "'My mother gave it to me, but I want you to have it to remember me by.' "'All right,' said McAtees, smiling. "'Then you take this to remember me.' And he gave her the iron ring from his own finger." If your husband asks you about it, tell him it was your father's or your mother's father if you think he won't believe that. I will, she said. Playfully, she grabbed the cheap gilded wine cup lying on the top of his pack. I should take this too, she said, for it suits me. It had a rather badly done image of Persephone picking flowers on it. Take it, it was cheap, I won't miss it, said Macatees. But now come back to bed. I'm here for several nights. Will I see you again?' Of course, she said, and she blew out the lamp and came back to him. When McAtees woke in the morning, there was no sign of Felinion anywhere, but the golden ring lay on the table beside him, and she had carelessly left her breastband lying on the bed. He smelled it happily, for it still smelled of her, roses and wine, and tucked it into the bottom of his pack before stealing himself to rejoin her serious-natured father for breakfast. Two nights later, Kelissa grumbled to herself as she cleared the dishes from the dining room, hours after the men had finished eating. Perhaps some day there would be another baby in the house for her to nurse. In the meantime, she was grateful to her master and mistress for keeping her on and not selling her to some new family, but her duties were not quite as fulfilling as they had once been. There was no one else around, so she sat down briefly and nibbled at some of the tastier-looking leftovers. All was quiet in the house, or almost. As she sat still in the growing darkness, she thought she heard someone walking across the room behind her from the direction of the front door. Thinking she must be hearing things, for who would be coming in at this time of night? The master and mistress had gone to bed, McAtees was the only guest, and he had disappeared to his room as quickly as possible after dinner... She picked up an oil lamp and went to look for the source of the sound. Perhaps a mouse? Looking around in the shadows, she thought she saw someone moving towards Mackety's room. She held up the lamp and could hardly believe her eyes, for there, surely, was Philinion, a rose in her dark hair and her own gold earrings hanging from her ears, slipping into the young man's room. Calissa closed her eyes and shook her head. I am seeing things, she said to herself. I am becoming an old woman and I am seeing things. She went to turn away, then... No, she changed her mind. I know myself, I know my mind and my eyes are both still sharp. And I cannot let that young man continue with what I think. Here she was interrupted by sounds of low moaning coming from the guest bedroom. What I know they are doing in there. She hurried to the door of the room and opened it quietly. The young lovers were wrapped in each other's arms and completely oblivious to her, but she could clearly see the familiar profile of the young woman. It was definitely Felinion. Her Felinion, her baby, the child she'd nursed, comforted, wrangled and taught, her little girl. She would have known her anywhere. Shaken to the core, she pulled the door closed again just as quietly and hurried upstairs to the women's quarters. "'Madam! Madam!' she hissed, knocking on Carito's door. "'She heard grumbling from inside. "'Madam!' she called again. "'What?' Carito pulled the door open, looking none too happy. "'She was still dressed, but had taken off half her jewellery, "'and her face was freshly red from being washed. "'Madam, your daughter! She is alive!' cried the nurse, "'grabbing her mistress's hands in delight. "'What are you talking about?' demanded Carito coldly, ripping her hands away. Philinion, I've seen her with my own eyes! She's alive! She's... in the guest's bedroom. Kalissa faltered a little, realising she didn't want to get her charge in trouble. Kalissa, you have gone completely mad, said Carito, shaking. Get out of here at once. We will discuss your behaviour in the morning. Kalissa drew herself up to her full height and refused to move. Do I look mad? she demanded am i out of my wits am i spouting nonsense since you are telling me my dead daughter has snuck in to have an affair with our house guest yes exclaimed karito now get out but Callissa refused to move come with me she said come with me and i'll show you it's true karito had not intended to indulge this demand from her slave but kalissa was by now talking so loudly that the whole house had been roused and she could hear demonstrators demanding to know what was going on from downstairs. Still trembling at the mention of her daughter and desperate to put an end to whatever madness this was, she threw a shawl around her shoulders and wordlessly followed the nurse downstairs to the guest room. As they passed her husband's bedroom, he emerged and opened his mouth. She shook her head briefly and motioned to him to follow them. The little procession made its way to the guest room, where Calissa flung open the door and stood back. Carato looked inside and saw the unmistakable shape of her daughter lying in the arms of their houseguest. Stunned, she froze to the spot. She was even more astonished to see her so calm and reserved husband take one look and rush forward to embrace his daughter. Nothing was said about finding her half-naked in a man's bed. He simply threw his arms around her and wept into her hair. McAtees looked appropriately horrified to be caught sleeping with his host's unmarried daughter, but Felinion looked crushed. Slowly, she pulled apart from her father's embrace. She gave her astonished mother a quick hug, then stood back, tears streaming down her cheeks. "'Mother, father, why did you come?' she asked, her voice breaking. "'I wasn't hurting anyone.' I just wanted to love and to be loved. I had prayed to Aphrodite so hard when I was dying. And then when this wonderful man came to stay with you, at last she granted my prayer. She turned to smile at Macates, who managed a weak smile back. But now she turned to her parents again. Now everything is ruined, and I have to go back, and you have to say goodbye to me all over again. And with that, she took one more deep breath, stiffened out into the frame of a corpse and dropped at their feet. Carito, Demostratus, and Makates all fell on her at once, weeping and pleading with her to get up and to talk to them. But it was no use. She lay stiff, pale and cold, her heart not beating, with no breath of life in her. She was clearly dead. "'What have you done to her?' cried Makates." "'What have we done to her?' Carito tore her clothes, ripping her veil from her head "'and throwing it on the ground, "'tearing her hair out and drawing her nails down her cheeks. "'What have you done? "'Did you raise her from the dead just to torment us?' "'What?' cried Macatees. "'Of course not! "'This girl wasn't dead. "'She was a living, breathing girl until just now!' "'She was dead,' said Demostratus in a hollow voice. "'She died six months ago.' She was our daughter, Felinion. That is her gold ring you have there. And he pointed to the bedside table. McAtees shuddered at the mention of her name, but stuck to his guns. It Cannot have been your daughter, he said firmly. It must have been some other girl that looks like her, who stole the ring from her grave. I am telling you, the woman I was with was a living woman. There is one way to resolve this, said Callissa from the doorway. We should go to the family mausoleum. If we find Felinion's body there with the ring missing, we know this girl for some kind of thief or trickster, and we will throw her body to the birds. If Felinion's body is missing, we will know she was telling the truth, and it was really her, and we will bury her once more with all ceremony, but perhaps burn her bones this time. You want to go out to the mausoleum now at this time of night? demanded Demostratus, but no one else seemed to want to wait. And so, equipped with torches and with a dog and a door-slave for protection, all four traipsed out of the house and into the night. The graveyard was not far, as the family lived fairly near the edge of town, and the moon was out, so the night was bright. No one spoke as they made their way through the streets, the sounds of drunken men outside the tavernas drifting out across the night. Even the dog was quiet, looking up at them all as if to ask why they were taking such a strange walk at such an odd time of night. In a weird parody of a funeral, they carried their torches to the mausoleum, where Demostratus pulled open the door and silently they trooped inside. It was a big mausoleum. The family had had quite a bit of money in the past. More recent bodies lay on beers around them, the odour fading but still pungent, their forms slowly melting into the stones they lay on. On shelves surrounding them were the bones of older ancestors, jars of ash and bone fragment in row upon row, all the way up to the low ceiling. But one beer, the one nearest the door, was empty. Almost empty for lying on top of it was an iron ring and a cheap wine cup with a rough image of Persephone on it. McAtees let out one great cry when he saw them. Then, snatching up the ring, he grabbed a torch and fled from the place. "'It was really her,' said Carato, her voice breaking. "'It was really her, and we... we spoiled it somehow. "'We could... we could... could we have had our daughter back?' She went to Demostratus, who held her silently, and they wept together. Kelissa was weeping too, but she tried to find some comfort for them. She didn't come back for us, she said. We couldn't have kept her. She didn't come back for us, and she would have been gone as soon as he was. The Poor young man, said Demostratus, He must be quite shaken. You feel for him? said Carito, looking at her husband in surprise. Demostratus shrugged. "'We were all young once,' he said, young and impulsive. "'And I think it is safe to say she came to him "'since he hardly came seeking her in her tomb.' "'We should check on him,' said Calissa. "'He's had a nasty shock, and I believe he really loved her. "'They seemed truly happy together.' "'The parents nodded, and once again the odd little party "'made their way through the sleeping town. "'As they came back into the house, they called for their guest,' but there was no answer. He's probably gone to his room, said Caruso. Perhaps we shouldn't disturb him. No, we should check on him, said Calissa, who was starting to feel a pit form in her stomach. And so they opened the door to the guest room once more. The body of Felinion still lay stretched out on the floor, and above her hung the body of the young man, dangling from the ceiling, dead. His feet hung over the body of his lost love, and on her cold breast he had left two rings, one iron and one gold, and a wax tablet. I have gone to join my love, the tablet read. Farewell. The End Welcome back to Creepy Classics, the podcast retelling and discussing ancient, medieval and early modern ghost stories. So uh, this month's story is from Phlegon of Tralee's text on Marvels. Um, This is not such a well-known text. Um, Previous episodes we've had much better known authors like uh, Cicero or Herodotus. Phlegon of Trales is uh, less well-known. He was a Greek living under Roman rule. So um, he himself was Greek, but he's living during the Roman period. Uh, And he was a freedman of Emperor Hadrian. So that's uh, about 2nd century CE. Trales is in modern Turkey. um, So he's uh, Greek culture uh, and ethnicity, but um, from uh, one of the Greek cities in modern Turkey. Um, presumably may have spent time in Rome, although Hadrian was a big fan of Greece. So he may have spent time in Greece or Rome. The text is essentially a collection of ancient folklore. Um, there are a lot of similarities to urban legends uh, in this text in general, and particularly in this particular story. Um, I've played with the event slightly in adapting it, mostly to speed it up and, um, Phlegon of Charlie's story has a lot of... And then this night, this person saw them and then they called somebody else to come and see them the next night and that kind of thing. So I've reduced the number of nights to make it a bit of a tighter story. But I've also made it even more similar than it already was to the modern urban legend about the vanishing hitchhiker. Um, so I'll chat a bit about the similarities with that shortly. The other kind of theme that I've woven through this story is uh, differences in women's lives between Greece and Rome. I've actually moved the setting of the story. Um, according to an outline in Proclus's commentary on Plato's Republic, it was set during the reign of uh, a King Philip, presumably Philip II, uh, this is Alexander the Great's father, which would be the 300s uh, BCE. 359 to 336 BCE, I've moved it. I've actually shifted the setting to the time that Phlegon of Charlies lived and wrote rather than the time of the setting. So I've been playing with time and culture and settings and differences between classical Greece of the 500s, 400s BCE and Rome of the 2nd century CE Um, Because it's fiction and you can do that kind of thing in fiction. Women's lives varied in different ancient Greek city-states. So the city-states in what is now modern Turkey would have had different customs to Athens and Sparta, which are very different customs to each other. Um, The two that we know about from classical Greece are are Athens and Sparta for the most part. Um, So there, there was a lot of variation. I've taken... Um, women's lives in classical Athens so from about mm, six or seven hundred years earlier than this story is set really um in classical Athens um in the fifth century uh, and into the fourth century BCE uh, strict seclusion of women seems to have been the norm for the elite not so much for women of lower classes and definitely not for slaves um but for well-off women Um, They seem to have been living in upstairs quarters, uh, not going out, or if they were going out, um, probably veiled, Uh, going out mostly for religious ceremonies and special occasions, um, because they could send slaves out for normal errands. Obviously, poorer women, this wouldn't be the case, they would be shopping and working and all that kind of thing. But rich women who had slaves who could do that for them seem to have been mostly indoors um and, and in these upper quarters uh, and when they had dinner parties if a, a greek man was hosting a symposium a drinking party the only women there would be entertainers musicians dancers possibly others depending on what kind of symposium it was which is very different to rome so it's not that rome was a beacon of feminism <laughs> but roman women are a little bit more incorporated into society in a way that athenian women weren't they were expected to stay quiet, so they're not expected to necessarily contribute to conversation or have their own opinions, um, or not, not to express their opinions anyway, but they would be expected to be present at fancy dinners. Um, if somebody's inviting their patron over, their wife would be there, his wife might come. There's a beautiful image from a bakery in Pompeii. Um, as you move from the bakery itself into the living quarters of what's presumably the husband and wife um, together, they're both holding writing implements and their their portrait they're showing them next to each other. and it's a really clear symbol if uh, if his patron or somebody important was coming for dinner, moving from the bakery into the living quarters. Um, it's a symbol that the two of them are running this business together. So while the wife might not be expected to speak up too much, she would be present in a way that Athenian women centuries earlier would not. So what I've done is I've basically made Demostris, when he says he's old-fashioned, he's very, very old-fashioned. He's following customs that would have been familiar to Athenians several centuries earlier. Um, But basically, I've done that to show Philinion as having lived a life of extreme seclusion, and then she's died young, um, which is what's led kind of the the goddess Aphrodite to give her this... um, sort of gift um, of a little bit of extra life after she's died uh, whereas Macatees, who's clearly been raised in rome or italy um, is used to seeing women around um, even if they're not talking all the time and i drew attention to connections between felinion and persephone as well um so the the story of persephone that she's uh, usually picking flowers, including roses. That's why I put a rose in Felinion's hair. Um, She's picking flowers in a field and Hades carries her off uh, and marries her and makes her queen of the underworld. This is the famous story where her mother searches and searches for her, her mother Demeter. And Demeter is the goddess of agriculture. So in the end, Zeus says that Persephone should spend six months on the earth with her mother and six months in the underworld with her father uh, with her husband sorry Hades um, so when she's with Hades that's autumn and winter Demeter is sad everything dies and then when she comes back to spend time with her mother that's spring and summer um, and Demeter is happy and everything comes back to life so it's a very well-known myth it was often shown on the tombs of girls who died before marriage. Um, so you see this quite often in Greek and Roman uh, tombs that there will be references for a young woman who's died before marriage, especially if they've died sort of just before marriage, which would be aged around 12 to 15. Um, you'll see images of Persephone um, on their tombs. So I've drawn out those links. Um, between Felinion and Persephone and that's why Maccates just thinks she's talking about getting married when she talks about Hades coming to take her away. Hades takes Persephone away to marry her um, you could also describe marriage as a sort of death of the young girl um, so McAtees thinks she's just describing getting married in a very poetic way um, whereas of course she actually means she's died. So I mentioned similarities with modern vanishing hitchhiker stories, which might sound a bit odd, um, given that nobody is hitchhiking. (laughs) But hear me out. Uh, So obviously it doesn't have the roadside element. What it does have is this theme of, again, the young woman who dies right before marriage, who dies before she is ever... If you want to be crude about it, before she's able to have sex. If you want to be romantic about it, before she's able to experience love, experience romance. Um, This is quite a common theme in vanishing hitchhiker stories, in modern stories, that the vanishing hitchhiker, not always, but quite often, is a young woman who's maybe died the night before her wedding, uh, or she might have died uh, on her way to a dance, on her way to a party. She's often wearing white, <laughs> it's virginal and pure. Um, that aspect of it uh, is a very striking similarity because Felinion is just a pure, like Persephone, it all kind of goes back to Persephone, really, is that pure example of the young woman killed just before she's able to kind of become a woman, get married etc etc and the other thing that really kind of made me think of vanishing hitchhiker stories is the tokens so she leaves behind a golden ring and a breastband breastband is an ancient bra (laughs) is the material that would have been binding up her her breasts she leaves those behind macketees gives her um the iron ring and the wine cup And this is very similar to a lot of Vanishing Hitchhiker stories where it's often a young man who's picked up a young woman uh, and sometimes she'll say that she's cold. uh, So he'll lend her a jacket or something like that and then she'll disappear um, and he will try and track her down. He'll end up at her house. He'll be told she's been dead for years. Um, This is so common. It was a joke on a Friends episode. And then... um, Sometimes he will actually go to her grave and find the jacket that he lent her lying on the grave. And the physical tokens, either something that he gives to her or something she might give to him that he might show the usually grieving parents, they are proof of it being something real, proof that it really happened, um, proof that it's not a dream or an hallucination. If you've got a physical token that's moved somewhere or that's been given to you. And that's another key element um, that really kind of makes this story very similar to that modern urban legend. And it comes in um, Flegon's Book of Marvels, Book of of Strange Tales, as it were. Um, we'll probably cover some more of them. There's not very many others with ghosts, but there are a couple with the uh, Talking heads and things like that. Uh, So we may come back to Flegon of Trolleys at some point uh, in the future. They are sort of these sort of strange tales, tall tales type things. And folklore scholar Jan Brunwand, who's studied The Vanishing Hitchhiker, calls it a false true story. It's told as if it's true, but not necessarily really believed. And you can see this in the sharing of folklore online now. So um, every Halloween, the website Jezebel.com runs a scary story competition, which is well worth a look if you're a fan of scary stories, which you probably are if you're listening to this podcast. Um, check out Jezebel.com's annual scary story competition. Uh, there's some great uh, creepy pastas there and all sorts of things. But the, the point is, it shouldn't be a creepy The rules of the competition are that it's real that it's something that happened to you or a friend, that it's a true story. And if you read through the comments, many of the people reading them don't believe they're true stories but are enjoying them anyway. But they are quite strict about the rules. If something's discovered to actually be a creepy bastard that can be traced back and, and is clearly not original, then it will be disqualified. And it's that sense that you tell it as if it's true. You don't necessarily believe it's true you sort of entertain the idea that it might be, um, and this may be that type of story. You tell it as if it really happened, regardless of how likely you think it is. And this particular story is considerably more plausible <laughs> than some of the others. Um, the the dead girl coming back to life is uh, the least of it from Phlegon of Tralles, <laughs> um, but it has that that sense of of this kind of what we now call urban folklore, ancient folklore, which is here's a story that really happened. And maybe your readers don't really believe it happened, but you tell it like it did. So I've mentioned a few kind of bits and pieces that I consulted while putting this together. Um, so Phlegon of Charlie's text is published as the Book of Marvels translated by William Hansen. So that is from University of Exeter Press. This particular story from Phlegon of Charlies on Marvels is also translated and reproduced in Daniel Ogden's source book, Magic, Witchcraft and Ghosts in the Greek and Roman Worlds. And Ogden provides a little bit of context, references to that Proclus commentary that provided a few more details that are missing from the beginning of the story in Phlegon's text and so on. There are lots of versions of the myth of Persephone, but the oldest one probably is the Homeric Hymn to Demeter, which is available online, translated by Gregory Nagy. Google Homeric Hymn to Demeter Gregory Nagy. is probably the easiest way to get that. Um, and a couple of books on phantom hitchhikers. Um, the Evidence for Phantom Hitchhikers by Michael Goss is very good. And The Vanishing Hitchhiker by Jan Harald Brunwand, which is the one that I mentioned a few minutes ago. So hopefully next month I will have a special guest. Um, I say hopefully because I am using exciting technology I've never used before to attempt to do this um, but at a distance (laughs) because uh, obviously we're trying to avoid unnecessary travel thanks to the coronavirus and so on. Um, So hopefully next month I will have a special guest to talk about uh, a very well-known ancient horror story. Um, If not, I will produce something equally exciting by myself and have a guest whenever I can make the technology work. (laughs) Thank you for listening, and I will see you again next time. Creepy Classics was written and performed by Juliet Harrison. Music composed and performed by Ed Harrison. It was produced by Juliet Harrison with assistance from Newman University.